Yeah. Those guys get it, right? That church gets it. What's wrong with us? Like rise and shine. Wow, be ready, get ready. So, so just this last little section here. Um, so David, when he was when he was 15, 16, 17, he's getting his identity. That's where he gets his identity, and he receives the Holy Spirit in that time. And when he goes out to fight Goliath, three people, three groups challenge his identity. So he's young, he's going out, he's gonna give it a shot. And this is what happens in our life. When you're young, God is building into you identity. You don't have to be a Christian, it's what he does to all people. He builds identity into us. He wants you to understand your identity. And the enemy, the world, the flesh work to just crush it out of you. It's the way this fallen world works. So David's killing the lion and the the bear and he's writing poems and these are things that make his heart come alive when he's doing these things and he's guarding his sheep. And so when he comes on the scene with Goliath, He's ready like this, he's ready. He recognizes like, oh, I get this, I know what this is, I've seen this before. And he knows what to do. So how does the enemy challenge David, little young David, to keep him from figuring out that his true identity is actually true and that he's invincible in his identity, walking in his identity? So the the first challenge to identity is his own family. The people in his own family, his brothers, and they say, they accuse him of being arrogant, right? Isn't that interesting? They're the soldiers, they're the ones in, at the battlefront, but they accuse him of being arrogant because, well, why do they accuse him? Why, what's he doing that's arrogant? What's he saying? What's he saying? He's asking them a question, what's he asking them? Do you know in the story of Goliath? He's, why are you guys afraid of Goliath? People hate when you ask those kinds of questions. Because then you have to confess. You have to tell the truth. Well, we are afraid. Yeah, we are afraid. They don't want to be afraid. So what they do is they project hostility on the person asking the question. That's what they do. So if you, you come in your true identity into a situation and you recognize because you're paying attention to God and you're aware of what's happening and you can hear what he says and you know what to do, that makes people mad. That makes people jealous because they're afraid, because they're ashamed. That's why they get upset. And so they're accused, David, you're arrogant, and what you really are is just a little cocky little shepherd boy, and why don't you go back and watch your little sheep? That's what they do. So when you go out to live out your identity, these names that you hear God call you, this is what you face, even from your own family, your own people. And David, he doesn't get mad at him. He just rejects it. He just doesn't receive it. It's like, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't receive that from you. Like, I don't, I don't receive what you're projecting on me. So if I do something and someone comes up to me and says, man, that was the worst, I've ever, you're the worst speaker I've ever heard in my life. I just don't receive it. Like, why would I? I just go back later, Lord, what, do you, what did you think? What do you want me to know? What do you want me to do? And believe me, he's a, he's a good critic, the Lord. 
He's very good. He talks about even the intentions of my heart when I'm speaking, not about my timing. He talks about that too, but more about my heart. But why would I receive from this person their hostility? Why would I do that? Do you know why I would do that? Is if I have no identity. Do you know why little kids get bullied? They have no identity. You can't bully a person with an identity. All you can do is beat them up and kill them maybe, but you can't bully them because they're not afraid of you. Kids are bullied because they have no identity and they're getting their identity from the bully. That's chronic in America because America doesn't have any identity. Remember what starts here goes out to here. Can't stop it. A parent with no identity cannot give a kid identity. A teacher with no identity cannot teach a class about identity in a public school or a Christian school. It doesn't matter if it's a Christian school or a public school. What matters is does the teacher have a sense of identity? So David just rejects it. I just, I'm not cocky. It's not because I'm cocky. I just know the situation. I recognize it. I'm going to go do it. That's challenge number one. Challenge number two is his leadership. First is his own family. Second is his leadership. Saul, like you can't, you can't go fight this guy. What, do you do? What, what did you do? And he says, no, I fought a bear and a lion. This is just bigger and slower than a lion. This guy won't even move. He's not a jogger. He's just gonna stand there and you gotta run at him and he beats you up. Like how dumb is the person that runs at him? But that's the only way we know how to fight. Oh, Oh, you haven't thought of any new ways to fight this battle? Oh, I know a new way to fight this, and I will not lose. I cannot lose if I fight in my own identity. You can't fight in your own identity. It's unproven. Our identity in fighting is proven, and we lose, so go do that again. Like, why would you keep doing the same thing over and over again that doesn't work? Right? That's the definition of insanity. Yeah, thank you. Like, that's dumb. Why would we do that? So why do we do it with God? This has never worked with God. This routine I do with God never really worked. So why would I do it harder or more often? I just need to do this more often. Why? Is God an animistic tribal deity that if you do it enough, he'll finally respond to you? Who wants that God? I don't. I want the God that initiates the stuff with me. Even when I'm not asking, I want that one because he loves me, that God. I want the God that says, hey, let me teach you how to fight in a new way, because one day, about 10 years from now, you're gonna really need it. You don't know it yet, you're not gonna trust me yet, but you will, you're gonna need it. Trust me now in the little things, trust me, trust me. Learn to do what I say, throw a rock at that lion. Do it, trust me, because one day it's gonna make you king that you can do this, trust me. Is that how we teach our young kids? Do we teach them to experience every day like that? So the king says, no, you gotta fight him like we do. David tries it on, he's like, nah, I can't fight in this stuff. It's like clumsy and cumbersome, I can't do it. So let me just do it the way I know how to do it. I'll win, I know I'll win. So he rejects, he doesn't receive the lie-based identity. You gotta fight like us. Family, leadership, and then the enemy himself. Goliath has to get David to come to him. He has to, or he's not gonna win. So how can he get David to come out of his identity and fight in Goliath's identity? 
That's the only chance Goliath knows. I can't chase this little kid around, and if he's good with those rocks, even if it doesn't kill me, it's going to hurt like crazy all day long because I'm never going to catch him. So I've got to get him to come to me and fight me in a false identity, and I will beat him. This is how Satan works in your life every day. I've got to get this person to come to me in a wrong identity. I've got to get him to come to me and fight the way I want to fight so that they will lose. And we do it all. We fall for it all the time. Let's see, I'm going to get a guy to cut him off in traffic so he'll go completely out of his identity. That's all it takes. Just that. And I'm like, ah, ah. And all that unworthiness and shame comes boiling. I'm going to make that person respect me. I'm going to make him respect me. Why? Because nobody's ever respected me in my whole life. Who didn't respect you? My dad didn't respect me. My brother didn't. And I'm going to make that. Oh, wow. How long have you been driving around with that? How long have you been driving around with that going on, that lie? And see, that's what kills us that false identity. So we're working through. We're learning how to wait. Wait a second. Wait a second. Why am I so mad about this? And here's the new way. Here's the new idea. God, what is that? What was that? Where is this coming from, this hostility? What's the source of this? Where did this come from in my life? Search me like, what is this? How does it make me feel? I'm so mad that my wife said that. I'm so mad. My wife called me last night. She woke me up to say, are you eating dinner with this guy tomorrow night? And I'm like, what? Yeah, you have this on your calendar. I'm like, yeah, I know. We have another meeting at that time. I'm like, I'm thinking in my head, you called me. You woke me up to tell me that there's a conflict in my calendar. Like, it made me mad. But before I said anything, what am I mad about? What's her motivation? She's trying to help me. What am I mad about? Yeah, waking me up because she inconvenienced me and I'm more valuable. I don't get inconvenienced. I shouldn't be inconvenienced. God, please wake me up at night to talk to me. And God's like, I don't want to inconvenience you. Like you get mad when everyone else does it. Why would I do it to you? Do you see? Oh, God, please wake me up in the night. You liar. You don't want to be, you don't even want your wife to wake you up at night. You don't want anyone to wake you up at night. Like that. This is confession. God, what is this? I think I'm more important than what my wife thinks. I think I'm more valuable. Why do I have to defend that? Why do I have to protect that? But like this, just like shh. True. Speak from your true identity. You're a militant peacemaker. Make peace right now with her. Now. Don't go out of your identity in this little conflict because once you step out in this little conflict, off we go. Off we go. Let's give this example when we're training of like in the south, you know, they hunt um, raccoons with pit bulls. And so, you know, so a raccoon doesn't have much of a chance against a pit bull, but so the raccoons figured out if they got into water, so they get out into water and they make enough noise, the pit bull's dumb enough to jump in the water to attack it and then the raccoon just drowns the dog. Because once the pit bull jumps into the water, all of its power is gone. And the raccoon now owns the fight. That's David and Goliath. It's brilliant. And that's what Satan is. Come get me here. Come get me here. Come get me. Come get me. Come get me. Those people don't respect you. Go get them. God didn't answer you. Go get them. Go get them. Come on. Come on. This is how Moses blew it. 
Moses is never afraid, never afraid of Pharaoh, not one day. His parents were never afraid of Pharaoh. The midwives were never afraid of Pharaoh. It says they feared God more than Pharaoh. They feared God more than Pharaoh. Moses grows up, I'm, no one I know is afraid of Pharaoh. He's the most powerful military leader in the world. No one I know, my parents weren't afraid. Nobody's afraid of him. Why would I be afraid of him? That's, Mo, that's how he was raised. Like we have, everyone I know that defies Pharaoh prospers. That's what God wants Moses to believe so that Moses can be trained by the very enemy who he's gonna go up against. That's how much God is like, I'm not afraid of the enemy, I'm gonna use him to train you. That's what I'm gonna do. Why would you not be trained by the best nation in the world in order to rise up a new nation? That makes perfect sense. Yeah, but they could kill me. They, I'm the only one that can kill you, and I'm not going to. So enjoy, enjoy, but don't lose your identity. That's what, and Moses doesn't. He's like, I'm a Hebrew, I'm a Hebrew. Even when he's like, the, you know, the Lord of Egypt, I'm a Hebrew. I'm a deliverer of oppressed people. That's my true identity, and he holds on to it. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, like we are not Babylonians. We are Hebrews who will run Babylon. We are not victims, we are not captives, we will own this place in a short amount of time, and we will be better experts at their culture than they are. And how old were those guys? 12, 13? What were their parents like? Wow. So the enemy's like, come fight me, and, and, and Moses is walking and he sees an Egyptian beating up a Hebrew, and there's his identity. He's like, ah, that's what I do. I deliver people like that. Oh, and God's like, not yet. No, 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 no. Too small, too soon. Wait, wait, patience. It's a, it's a little tiny battle. It's not worth it. Wait, deliver the whole thing. Yeah, but this is really making me mad, and I need to prove myself here. No, you don't need to prove yourself. You do not need to prove yourself. I need to prove myself. You do what I say when I tell you, and we'll win this whole thing. No, but this is really making me mad. And I might walk away and they don't know who I am and I need to show who I am and so I'm gonna kill this guy. Boom, kills the guy. And for the first time in Moses' life, he's afraid of Pharaoh and he becomes a murdering exile for 40 years. Well, ah, there you, you showed him. Beautiful, you really told them. Thanks, Moses. I'll see you in 40 years now. Time out, 40 years. Because you had to trade away your identity for that little bit of ego. Wow, mm. That's how the enemy works, all day long. Come get me, come get me, come on, come get me. Oh, you're gonna try that? Who do you think you are? Do you know who you are? I'll tell you who you are, you're nothing. You are nothing, remember that. You know, I know what you do at night, I know what you do. Why do you think? That's how he talks all the time. Here's, your, here's what you do. God, I reject that in the name of Jesus, I reject that in the name of Jesus. God, I reject that in the name of Jesus. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And I receive this. And I say it out loud before all the heavenly realms, I receive this. Last night in the hotel room, I say out loud, Donna, hang on one second, hang on one second. Just put you on hold one for a second. I am a militant peacemaker. I will not engage in this dispute. Yeah, thanks for checking on my schedule. I so appreciate you doing that. I love you. Good night. I win. Yay. Like that, that's how real these battles are. Don't minimize them, they're important. The enemy, the enemy knows you don't care. Pay attention to what he's doing. 
God, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to know? What do you want me to do? Especially with negative emotions that are telling you what you believe in this situation is wrong. As soon as that negative emotion comes up, God, what is that? What is the source of that? What is this? Where does this come from? Why do I feel so unworthy and fearful in this situation? Help me know, quick, bam, you'll start to hear him like this. You know why? Because you have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. The distance between your mind and his mind is there's no distance. It's like, it's like well, I know you guys, your experience is when I start just saying, I'm gonna ask this question. You guys, some of you are here immediately. I don't have to do the long prayer. I'm just giving you time. Like, you know, it's like, boom. And Jesus is like, it's gonna be better for you when I'm gone so that you won't have to wait for sound to travel this far. It'll be right here and right here all the time. God never stops communicating with you. Never. If you go outside and the sunrise makes you, or the mountains make you go, wow, that is him. That is him. Every part of you that goes, wow, that's him. Because that's what he's, he's doing when he looks at those mountains. See that? Isn't that beautiful? Yes. My spirit's like, yes. Yes, it is. That's him. What do you want him to do? Dance in front of you or something? Like, that's him. The coffee tastes good. My Eastern friends, my Eastern Orthodox friends, they, they, when they're working with us, they call us crusaders, not in any positive way. They're like, you guys are such, cru-. it's like you guys are always on a crusade against something because I'm an American Christian, I'm on a crusade. And so like I'm talking about, you know, we gotta get down here, we gotta talk to these Muslims, we need them to come into the kingdom, and my, the Eastern Orthodox Arabs are like, oh, are we on a crusade now? Are you on a crusade? They don't understand that kind of language because they've never been on a crusade. They, they weren't in the crusades, they lived with, alongside the Muslims and led them to Christ. They didn't come to conquer them. And so they talk about, they go, oh, that's, they don't ever say win, or they say, oh, that's so kingdom. That's how they talk. Oh, that's so kingdom. One of them says, do you know, Jamie, I was in the gas station the other day, this is in Jordan, he goes, and the high priest of the Druze, who nobody, nobody gets access to the high priest of the Druze, except this guy, the high priest of the Druze comes up to me in the gas station. I'm like, he did? Yes. Isn't that kingdom? I'm like, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, in that kingdom. And he says to me, because of our relationship, I've begun to ask Jesus to speak to me. I'm like, you're going to win him? He goes, no, 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 no. This is kingdom. It's the kingdom moving. It's not a cause. It's not a crusade. It's the kingdom of God moving. And it's all of its beauty. See that flower? They talk about a flower the same way they talk about the Druze guy coming to Christ. Isn't that kingdom? Isn't that kingdom? That's how Jesus talks. Like, what are you trying to do? What are we trying to do? We're trying to move into the kingdom and move the kingdom forward. Isn't that kingdom? Isn't that beautiful? Lord, speak to me today. Here's a little exercise to do. We do this with our people at times. Just say, when you're stuck in traffic or something, just say, Lord, remind me of a time in my past where you were talking to me and I didn't know it. Like when I was a little kid or something, remind me of a time in my past where you were talking to me and I didn't know it. You'll be surprised at the things that come to your mind. It's really beautiful. Like, that was you? I thought that was me talking to myself. That was you? 
Like when I was setting up those little army men and taking that place, like that was you talking to me about how we're going to do that together someday? That was you? And he's like, why do you think it was so much fun? Because we were doing it together. Me and you, I made you to love that stuff. Do you ever think like that? He was there the whole time. He's been with you the whole time. Once you start to realize this, you live at another level of knowings. Time, it, time in your mind will change. And the past becomes something that just moves you forward. That's all it does. It just moves you forward. And it doesn't chain you up and condemn you anymore. It moves you forward. I can put my mind in the past and think, man, yeah, wow, that was you doing that? Yeah, but what about when my dad threw us down the stairs? He's like, yeah, your dad was messed up, wasn't he? I was with you there, though. At the bottom of those stairs, I was right there with you. It doesn't matter that he threw you down the stairs. That's awful, and that's between me and your dad. But ask me what I did when you were at the bottom of the stairs, you and your brother. Ask me what I did there. Me and my brother prayed about this together. You know what the Lord did between me and my brother? He made us close. He was so kingdom there. I landed on top of my brother, down the stairs. We lay on the floor, and we both burst out laughing. And my brother says, we're not dead yet. And we burst out laughing, and the Lord says, that was me. I was with you there. I was with you there. He was with us the whole time, and we felt sorry for our dad now. We have compassion on that's how my dad came to Christ. God forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. God forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Not like, eh, at the world. Eh, we're coming to get you. We're coming to get you. We're crusaders <laughs> like this. So we're in this identity, in this confessional. Lord, this is how I feel right now. I feel angry. I feel ashamed. I feel hurt. Help me to know where that comes from. What is that? Repentance, God, you tell me the truth about this situation. You tell me the truth about the situation. Oh my gosh, really? We're gonna do this now? Wow, okay, and then you start acting. Then you start doing what he says. Attention, awareness. Then I, he starts making enunciations and then I start doing what he says. This is why Jesus is modeling. How did you know to say that? because I can hear, because I have the mind of Christ. How did you know how to come up with that drawing or that architectural plan or that business plan or that? How did you do that? Because I have the mind of Christ. I have it. And the difference between me and another guy that's really good at coming up with ideas is when these ideas come from God, it transforms the people involved. It transforms them. They come up and go, wow. Let me give you an example. I met a guy out in um, Portland, in Seattle. We were doing the greenhouse experiment with grad students in Seattle. It was hilarious. So I went into a room of, I don't know, 45 graduate students. And I don't know anything about them. It doesn't matter. I don't know anything about them. And I just said, okay, we're going to talk about identity. Some of them are believers. Some of them, I don't know. We're going to talk about identity. We start talking about identity. You, and I said to him, you have names from your past that you carry around that hurt you. And everyone's like, yeah, we get that. So I said, let's do this. Let's just think for a minute. Everybody close your eyes. And I want you to think, 
What are the names that I've been called in my life that hurt me? When they close their eyes to think that, I just pray silently, God, speak. And let them know that it's not their voice talking to them. They can tell. And they start thinking of things that they haven't thought about before. And it's funny, uh, because I don't close my eyes when I do that. I'm looking at them, but they have their eyes closed. I was just telling one of the guys here, when, when we're doing false identity, this is what they're doing, the students. That's what they're doing with their heads. And they're writing, yeah. And then they all write stuff down. It's like, these are the names that are killing you. I wonder if there's a different true identity that you have. Let's close our eyes and let's, let's just think, is, is there a, do I have a real identity that's really true? Let's just do that. Close your eyes. What is their true identity? Who am I asking? I don't know. They don't know. I know who I'm asking. What is their true identity? What would that be? God speak, God speak, God speak. And this is what they start, this is how I know it's God talking to them. This is what they're doing. <laughs> Why are they doing that? Why do we do that when God talks to us? This. No, they hear, they hear something in their head, but why are they going like this? It's too great. Yeah, they would never call it. It's too much. It's too good. No, that can't be me. Is that me? Do I call myself the magnificent one? No, not normally. All these other names, yep. Not that, not typically. Oh, magnificent one. Where is that name coming from? That's what they do. And some don't hear anything. And so then I just make them say, what did, what did you hear? Like, what's the word that came into your mind? It's hilarious. And so kingdom. Well who, well, who would call you that? I don't know. It just popped in my head. Well, who would call you? And then eventually someone in the room will go, God. You know, there's always that person that'll do it. And then, oh, would God, does God do that? And off you go. Off we go. It's really amazing. But this is the response. And when I'm praying one-on-one with people, I watch men especially go, no, no. That's how I know it's God. Because everyone in the Bible, when God says something to them, this is what they go to God. No, I don't think that's going to work. Then he explains it more and they'll go, now I know that's not going to work. Like the, that's our response to God because it takes faith to believe what he says, always. That's why it's so easy just to like, that's dumb. Put that over there. But you're learning how to hear the truth and you're learning how to walk in it, the, the action. And so the action begins in small steps. So David learns, you know, doing it, throwing stones. And then he comes just as a shepherd in his vocation. He, he's, there he is at the battlefield and he sees the situation. And he's like, just like these Nike ads are saying, he goes, oh my gosh, this is what I do. This is, I think this is me. And his spirit's like, wow, I, this is me. And he's gonna step into it. And the whole world goes, no, that's dumb, that's stupid, that's risky, don't do that, don't do that. But he's like, no, 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 I've seen this before in my life. Smaller, less risky, but this is it. And he steps into it and off he goes. So that when he's 30, at age 30, he is the king, the king. At 51, he trades his identity away again because he leaves his identity to sit at home and play video games on the roof. When he should be doing what he does, he's a warrior, poet, king, and he's not in his identity, and he's lazy, and he's isolated. And then he sees Bathsheba, and down he goes. For two years, 
That's how fast the enemy will get you. Two years. That's why walking with the Lord every day is so important. God, what do you call me? Say it again. I want to hear you say it again. Say it again. And when you doubt it, Lord, what do you call me? You do not call me this. What do you call me? And let him speak to you, and then you know what to do. Then you know the action steps. Attention, awareness, enunciation, and then action. Okay, so let's talk about the action for a second, just as we wrap up here. Um, Action steps. If we do this kind of thing and it doesn't work out on Monday, it's a waste of our time. Like, it's an absolute waste. I hate this kind of stuff if it doesn't work. So Monday. So before we leave here, what we want to do is have action points in our mind written down action steps. Okay, what do I do to live out this identity that I hear? Okay? And if you haven't heard anything at all the whole time, I want you to come talk to me before you leave, okay? Because then you're talking about forgiveness in these issues. So, what are the action steps? Okay, so ask, we're going to ask the Lord, Lord, in relation to my identity, what do you want me to do? So, I've said this a bunch of times during the day, but in the book of Acts, so the disciples, the apostles, the men and women, they, they receive the Spirit. When they receive the Spirit, they go into immediate action. And not just running around action, they know exactly where to go and who to talk to. And they know how to do it. And it's unique to each one of them. And so they, you go to them, you go to them, you go to them, you go to them. And when they go to their places, they know what to say. And the people in those places go, wow, I get what you're saying. So that's what happens when you have the Spirit. The Spirit activates in us our unique identity and gifts. That's why Paul says, never, 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 never quench the Spirit ever in your life. Here's how you quench the Spirit. I'm not doing that. Nope, I'm not doing that. Fear, guilt, and shame quench the Spirit. That's why I'm wearing this shirt. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. This is from, anyone know what this is from? Thank you very much. Dune? Right. Fear is the mind killer. When God tells you to do something and fear comes up, your brain, the frontal parts of your brain actually shut down when fear kicks in and you go back down to reptilian brain. And all you can do is try and protect yourself. That's all you'll do. Fear kills us. That's why the number one exhortation in all of Scripture, time and time again, by God, is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid because it's our number one problem is fear. So I can, I mean, like, if you become afraid, it's like, of course. But we're not going to be, we're going to move through the fear. We're going to walk through the fear, and God will do it at levels, gradually with you, until you're not afraid at really high levels. Like that. So when God starts to speak to me, I want you to do this, then we're going to start doing it. Just every day. Like this, okay? So let's pray for a second, okay? And you're in the bleacher, so just, just try and write this down on your heart or mind or whatever, okay? So, Father, thank you for... Thank you for your willingness to communicate with us, Lord. Thank you for your willingness to talk with us, to live within us, to move us with your spirit. Thank you for that. And so, Lord, this day we've been thinking about identity and false identity and getting rid of false identity and true identity and hearing you. 
And Lord, it's activated things in us, ideas, whatever. So Lord, just right now, just ask in the name of Jesus, Father, would you say to me right now one thing that you want me to do tomorrow or Monday? One thing that you want me to do tomorrow or Monday in relation to my identity? Just what is it? What do you want me to do, Lord? What do you want me to do? So like I'm praying this stuff, this stuff for myself too, by the way. If it's, if it's not happening in me, I'm not gonna talk about it. But, so I'm asking the Lord the same thing for myself. What, do you want, what does he want me to do? Okay, and so we're gonna do that thing, whatever it is, whatever it is. Talk to whoever we're supposed to talk to or go wherever we're supposed to go or um, whatever it is, that thing. And then the other thing that you wanna do is whatever the identity is that you heard, study it. Find it in the Bible, the word, the term, whatever it is, get in the word first, study it. Find out everything you can about that word or that name or whatever it is. Study it and then go outside of the Bible and read on that topic, whatever it is. Get broad outside of it like that and study and learn. And as you're doing this, and each day you're asking the Lord these questions. What do you want me to know? What do you want me to do? So at Pentecost, when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they go out and they start living their lives under the direction of the Spirit of God. And it's an experiment. They're like, well, the Gentiles seem to be coming into the kingdom. What does that mean? And they go back to the Old Testament and they have these debates and figure it out and they're experimenting. So that's what you're doing. You're experimenting. God, this happened today. What do you want me to know about this and what do you want me to do? And while it's happening, what do you want me to know about this? What do you want me to do? So I was telling this story the other day. I was, we were teaching a class in Baghdad, very tense, 2003. We were there the first 2003, 2004, very tense. They hadn't found Saddam yet. We're living in central Baghdad. We have no military protection. It's just our teams. Because of what we were doing, we couldn't have military around us. And so a lot of, it was tense. <laughs> and um, half of our team was killed in one day. So part of our team is killed. And I have to go ID the bodies with the FBI and all that. Come back to the other half of our team. And the other half of our team are all 22 and 23-year-olds year olds. This is their first job out of college. And so meet with them. I come back from ID in the bodies. Okay, this is the situation. Here's the facts as we know them. These are, people are dead. One survived. She's shot 31 times. She's in a coma. They flew her to Germany. That's the end of them. Now we're talking about you. Okay, you. They happen to be believers. And so I said to them, so you have to make a decision on what God wants you to do, knowing the risk of what we're doing. It's obviously apparent to some of the people that we're working with who we are. So that's a high risk. So now you have to make a decision. What does God want you to do? What does he want you to know? And what does he want you to do? That's the question. How do they know what action to take? Whether they're in this situation or they're in the United States trying to make a career choice, it's the same questions. Do you see? It's not any different. What do you want me to know? 
What do you want me to do? Very straightforward, as unemotional as we can make it. But I warned them, I said, the danger for you is that you'll pray in fear. That's okay to pray in fear, but get rid of the fear before you ask for what to do. Because you won't think with your whole mind, you'll only think out of the fear. So Lord, what do you want us to know about our fear? That's how we started. Okay, what are we afraid of? What do you think they said? We're afraid of? Dying, right, okay, all right, Lord. What do you want to, what is it? If I'm afraid to die, it says something about what I believe about God, right? That he's not allowed, he can't protect me. There's evidence that God can't protect our people right there. There they are, they're in coffins. There's the evidence. But the question is not what are the facts. The question is what does God want me to know about these facts as they stand? We don't live in a dream world. It's a real world. Those are real things that happen. What do you say about these to me about this. And so God speaks to each one of them. I can't tell, I'm not gonna tell him what he says. I just said don't make a fear-based decision because one fear-based decision leads to another, leads to another, and the rest of your life you make every decision based in fear. It's a curse, you'll never get out of it. So pray with each one of them about the fear. He deals with the fear. Here's an interesting thing about fear though. Do you know that a crisis doesn't make a man, a crisis reveals a man. Do you know that? So P- guys that struggle with PTSD aren't struggling because of something that happened to them on the battlefield. They're struggling with something that was present that's exposed on the battlefield. It's already present in them. It's just exacerbated in a crisis. That's why it's That's why they have a hard time dealing with PTSD because they're trying to treat what happened here and what happened here actually happened a long time before they got there. It just shows itself here. They can mask it. So the fear that these young people are dealing with in this situation, the fear is actually not from this situation. They brought the fear with them. It's interesting because I know, guys, I can hide in a dark house for 12 hours waiting for them to come in. They come in, I jump out. They don't even flinch because they're not afraid. The fear has been trained out of them. I can jump, scream, they're just like, hey. Because they're not, when a person comes in a dark room, they're already afraid. So it's easy to make them jump. Or they're unsuspecting. But these guys are like, they're always aware of everything around them. So they're like, something potentially could jump out and I'll kill it. That's how they think. And so when I jump out, they're like, and I would love to kill him first, yeah. So they're not afraid. So your present circumstance, the feelings that you feel in your present circumstance are actually from the past, really. This is like phase two of this. We'll we'll do this in phase two, but that's the reality of it. So deal with the fear in each one of those young people. And then, okay, what do you want me to know about fear? God speaks to them about each of their individual fears. He works them through their fear. And then what do you want me to do? And he said the same thing to each one of them. Stay. I want you to stay. Staying here will be the best thing that's ever happened to you. Leaving will be the worst mistake you could ever make. And all of them are still there today. They're in their mid-30s, all of them. And they're all married, and they're spread out all over the Middle East, and they are some of the most phenomenal people I know. And they are fearless. Six of them 
six of them, six because they're married now, and they met all their spouses there, on the, out there. Six of them are on the border of Syria waiting to move themselves and their kids in to live in Syria. I know. You know why? Because they're not afraid. They're super excited to get in there like that. What do you want me to know? What do you want me to do? So the simple thing is, God, what do you want me to do tomorrow and the next day? What do you want me to do? What do you have for me to do based on my identity? It's that simple, that simple. When you go to do those things, then you just keep asking the Lord, and now what? And what do you want me to do now? And check reading into your eye, moving into your identity, and it will grow. And you will, he will start saying things to you that are more and more profound further along, and you just keep going with them. Just, just, just watch Jesus with the disciples. And you will stumble, and you will fall, and he will pick you back up, and you will keep going with him. Your only danger, your only danger is that you quit. So one little thing about time. You're thinking about this. So let's say this is my lifeline, and these are events in my future, here and here, like this. So I'm here in life, right here. I'm 57, and I'm going this way in my true identity. I'm walking this way in life. I've come past this stuff. This would be like Israel-Palestine time. Now I'm past that. We're going towards this. I don't know what this is exactly. I just know it's going to be better than this, and this was amazing. Like that, and then going this way. So time, I just wanted you to get a picture of time in your mind. On this line, time is only measured in, to measure this movement. That's all where time's involved. Time has nothing to do with these events because these events don't move. Does that make sense to you? So no matter what I do, that event is gonna stay right there. Just like that microphone stand's gonna stay right there no matter what I do. I could do this for like five years and that'll still be right there. And I can do this until I'm 100 and I just drop down dead right there. And that opportunity has never moved, never moved. I can stand here and die, never moved. I can stand here, that's never moved. I move closer to it and die, but this never moves. Here's the lie we believe, that if I'm standing here and I don't do anything, that this is gonna walk past me and be gone. That's impossible. Time is not an enemy. Time was created by God and it's beautiful. Time is only measuring you walking forward into what God has for you starting today. It's right there, there it is. How will I know when I'm there? You'll, you'll run into it. You'll know it. The only danger is that I just do this. I'll never get there. I'm unworthy, I can't go there. Move. Paul says, if you live in the spirit, walk, walk in the spirit. Move this way, and if you move this way, you will never miss this. And when you get this, and you keep moving, you will never miss this. Time does not pass. You walk into time. So I don't care how old you are, and if this is the first day you've ever thought of hearing your identity or being in the kingdom, those events are all just waiting for you to come. 
And Jesus is right with you on the line going, ready? Let's go. And we will start walking into those things straight into the kingdom. That's the beauty of your future. When you don't believe that, you will just do this. That's all you'll do. And you'll have your head down because you don't have to look up to do this. You have to look down to do this, actually. To do that, you have to look up. Oh, it's up, though. It's like, like that. That's what we want to do coming out of here. These things are right in front of me in my true identity. Like this, not over here, not over here, just straight ahead like that. Straight path. Just like that. So if you, you're not, you haven't missed anything yet in your life at all, not one thing. And Jesus says, ask me and I'll give you the years the locusts have eaten away. I'll give them back to you. Ask me for them. Ask me for them. So the action steps I'm paying attention to God. Which way are we going? Oh, we're going this way. Okay. Where are you on this path? Oh, you're right there. Okay. How do we go? What do you want me to know? What do you want me to do? Okay. And then the actions start moving forward towards this thing. What is this thing? Ask him. It could be a business. It could be a ministry. It could be, I I don't know what it is. Ask him what it is and start walking towards it. You probably already know way down here. You probably knew when you were young what this is. Ask him what it is and start moving to it, but practice every day. What today? What today? What today? And people that you meet will be keys to that future. Weird people, random people that you meet will be keys to that. That's the beauty of the mystery of the other. Know everyone, don't have enemies. Know everyone. So, finally, in conclusion, I'm gonna stop. I know so many, we've done this so many times with people. So in the U.S., we were in a city, um, and we were doing a, a, a project in a U.S. city, and I meet a guy in the city, and he's, I don't know, what was he? He was probably 45 years old, this big, massive guy, and um, start to get to know him, pretty, pretty violent guy, and he's, he's a new believer. He's just come to Christ, and I'm asking him, like, how did, you, how did you come to faith in Jesus? And he goes, well... This is down in the south, and he said, well, my kid came into my room one day and woke me up and said, how do I know I'm not going to hell? I want to know I'm not going to hell. And his dad said, you're not going to hell. And his kid said, that's not good enough. I want to hear a preacher say it. And so he won't let his dad, so his dad gets up, looks up where the closest church is, gets, puts the kid in the car, takes him to the church, and the dad comes to Christ in that little event. This is the father. His name is Jeff. And so I meet him, and he's a really cool guy, but he's, he's a pretty violent guy. Um, so he's a believer, yet he really struggles with violence. He's been divorced. He's got other kids from another wife and all this kind of thing going on in his life, and he's pretty hostile. So I ask him his story. His story is this. When he was young, he's, and he's giant. He's a giant guy. When he was young, he, because um, he, he came to me and asked me about anger, how do I deal with anger? So when he was young, he just was big. And so his dad and his um, neighbor said, you ought to play football. Thing is, he didn't want to play football because he wasn't mean. He's really, he was really nice. But football like, was important to his dad, so his dad kept making him play football, little league, and then on into high school. And every time he would play, the coaches would say, you've you got to get mad. 
Like, you're too nice out there. you got to get mad. And so he starts taking on this identity of being angry on the field because he didn't want to play, actually. So he gets mad, but when he gets mad, he succeeds, and he gets a lot of accolades. So he goes to high school, and he's really good, and he's really big, and he's really mean. And then he gets into college on a full scholarship, and he's really good, and he's really big, and he's really mean because he hates playing football. But it's his identity. Um, and so then his, he gets full scholarship junior year, gets injured severely, sophomore year, sorry, gets injured severely, loses his scholarship, and he's never passed a single class in his life because he's also dumb. And now he's big and he's mean and he's not smart and now he's not a football player anymore. So what is he now? Big, mean, and, big, mean, and doesn't know what to do. So he fights people. And he fights, and he gets a girl pregnant, and all this, and it's just a big disaster. And so then he meets Jesus, and he meets Jesus, and now he's in the kingdom, and he's like, what do I do? The anger just doesn't go away like magic. So he's asking me, what do I do with this anger? And I said, I don't know, but I know how to know. So we come in, and we start praying together, and we're praying together, and the Lord starts walking him through that. Like, when's the first time you really felt angry? Well, when I was on a football field. No, it wasn't. When's the first time you really felt that anger? Lord, when's the first time you really felt that anger? When my dad kept telling me that I was stupid because I didn't want to play sports. There's the anger. And how did it make you feel that your dad was disappointed in you? Yeah, it made me feel unworthy, right? There it is, very young. As young as David's learning how to fight lions and bears, this kid's learning how to feel unworthy and angry. And so he takes it on. It's his identity, and he begins to live it out. But this is the place where the Lord wants to start with him. And so the Lord's with him in that day. He's remembering it back. Lord, what do you want him to know about that day, that time when he felt that? It was this one incident with his dad. And the Lord says to him, I made you, I made you to be a counselor to people. And, he, and when he hears this in his mind, he starts to cry. This big, angry guy starts to cry. And he goes, I think God says I'm his counselor. What kind of counselor? Family counselor. Really? Wow. What a history for that. But it kind of makes sense. What does the enemy want him to hate? His true identity. So when the Lord says, you're my family counselor, the enemy's like, Really, you? But this is why you must, must, must be in a community of men. Because when we heard God call him a counselor, we're going to hold him accountable to being a counselor, a family counselor. That's what we're going to hold him accountable to being. It's like, we're not, whoa, 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 whoa. No, you're a counselor. We're going to hold you to this. How does it make you feel to know that you would be a counselor to families? He goes, it makes me feel kind of good, but, but look at my life. No, 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 no. How does it make you feel to know that you would be a counselor? He said it would be like the most redemptive thing I could ever do, right? That's Jesus. That's what he does. Okay, now. So he hears, he's paying attention, he's aware. He can hear God call him a counselor, but look at his life, it's a wreck. It's like if you were the Apostle Paul, which is what we're speaking on tomorrow, you wanna to hear something interesting, come to that. The Apostle Paul finds out, you're, you're, you're called to the Gentiles. Oops. Like I've been killing them my whole life, I know, perfect. 
Like that you're the perfect guy. This is how God redeems these things. It's such a mystery. It's so incredible. So the guy, so when the guy says, I feel like I'm a family counselor, we're like, that's right in line with the Bible. That Jesus would call you that. That's exactly what you're you, who knows family tragedy more than you? Who understands anger in a family more than you? You're the best one, but you have to be redeemed. You have to become a counselor and walk like a counselor and act like a counselor. And he's like, okay, what does that mean? Well, what do you need to do to be a counselor? You have to have a college degree. Oh, nope, no, no, no. I've never passed a class in my life. What's this called? I, 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 I don't want to go into a classroom. I'm dumb. There's this fear and guilt and shame. I can't even write a sentence. It's true, he couldn't. It's like, yeah, but you have to have a degree to be a family counselor. Like, like. God doesn't have to come to you in a vision and go, you need a degree. That's like what you need. So what are we going to do? So I go with him. We go with him down to the community college. So like he's in his almost 40, he's giant, down, standing in line at the community college in this little southern town to sign him up for classes. And he's like a scared little fifth grader. He goes, these people, these people, these people think I'm stupid. Uh, he's intimidated by the 17 and 18 year olds around him who he could kill just by swinging his arm. But he's afraid of them. See, it's just so false. So we commit, our men's group commit to go with him every night to community college. One of us goes with him and sits next to him in the desk. You can do it, come on, you can do it. This class is on poetry, I know, we'll make it, we'll get through it, come on. All the way through two years of community college, our our accountability group goes with him every night. This is real accountability. And he gets straight A's. Beautiful, now he's gotta go into the four-year college, which is the school where he had the full scholarship. God's gonna take him back into his deepest fear. He goes into the school, we go with him. He meets the dean, it's the same dean. The dean's looking at him like, how long has it been since you were here? It's been a long time. You're still on probation, by the way. After all, there's no like end of this. You're still on academic probation. You had like a one, or was your grade point average or something. So he's gotta go through two years of the place where he failed. Why is God doing that to him? He's redeeming the years. He's giving him the years back. Jeff is just walking, boom, community college. Boom, four-year degree. He's, they never moved. They've always been there. He stopped. He quit. He gave up. Now he's moving. He gets past Dean's List, graduates with a four-year degree. What's next? Graduate school. All right, graduate school. He gets a, he gets a master's degree in counseling. The whole time, he's getting back with his kids. He's reconciling with all of his kids. He starts volunteering in a counseling ministry at his church, and his whole identity starts to just come alive like this. What what do you think he does today? What do you think he owns today? A counseling ministry, a really, really successful family counseling ministry. He's one of the best. That's, whatever that is, that's you. It doesn't matter how old you are. It's all right there. If you will just walk that way in your true identity, if you will just say, God, help me to pay attention to who you say I am. Help me to 
stop believing the lies of the enemy. Help me to be aware of what you're doing in my life and what the enemy's doing in my life, both. Help me to be aware. Help me to be able to hear from you. And God, then would you help me to turn and walk in action in the direction of which you have for me. And when you start to go that way, I want you to look back and go, Ranger, come! <laughs> let's pray. Yeah, let's pray. Father, you love these men. And you have a future and a hope for everyone in this room. Every one of them. It's right in front of them. Lord, they got to hear you. They got to pay attention. We have to be aware. We have to hear your voice, your enunciations. And we have to act on what you say without fear, without guilt, without shame. And we need to do it in community, Lord. We need to be signed up in community together in order to walk this out. And Father, I so look forward to what you're going to do. I am so excited for these guys because we've seen it happen so many times. This is not a game. It's not magic. This is real life, and this is what you do. And I just commit and bless each man to move into beyond what they could ask or imagine in their true identities, living for you, and that people around them would be transformed. And I thank you for them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, you.